Well, good afternoon, everyone. Hope you're okay. I don't know whether you've caught this story, but uh, apparently there's a new titanium wedding ring designed to stop adultery in its tracks. Uh, it's taken the, the internet by storm. Apparently the way it works is that back in the old days, if someone wanted to commit adultery, one of the things, and they were married, one of the things they might do would be to remove their wedding ring before heading out on the town or wherever. Uh, but this new ring made from titanium, marketed by thecheeky.com, other wedding rings are available, uh, has, the words, has the words, I'm married, printed on the inside of the ring. So the way it works is that slowly this imprints onto your finger the words, I'm married. So that even if you remove it, the words, I'm married, still appear where the ring was on your finger. Uh, this then acts as a warning for anybody uh, who uh, might be cheating or for someone you might be cheating with. One site observes that you cannot put a price on fidelity, uh, but they've put $550 on it. Uh, I don't know, maybe Potiphar should have bought his wife one, uh, although maybe it wouldn't have made any difference. We don't know. So we are back in the story of Genesis, uh, and you may recall from last week, if you were here last week, that uh, we talked a little bit about Judah, the son of Jacob, and what was happening with him. Uh, and this week we're back with the story of Joseph, Joseph, the son of Jacob. He's a likable guy. He's been an undiplomatic kid, pretty irritating kid. In fact, he's incest his brothers to the point where they've faked his death and sold him. And he's ended up as a slave in Egypt. And I know that any of you who has a brother has felt that emotion probably at some point, but hopefully never acted on it in the ways these guys did. And so we're picking up the story back in chapter 39 that Joan read for us. Uh, and the main point I really want to get across uh, today is that to think about is that God is with his people, whatever the circumstances, and he will deliver them. And hopefully we'll see that from the passage today. God is with his people, whatever the circumstances, and will deliver them. And we're going to do that by comparing Joseph with some of the people in this story. With Potiphar, with Potiphar's wife, with the cupbearer, and with Pharaoh. Before we go into that, let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word has been designed to do many things, to teach us, to instruct us, to lift us up, to encourage us, to tell us off when we need telling off. Lord, whatever it is today that we need to hear, will you make sure we get the message? Will you make sure that it changes our hearts so that when we leave, we are not the same as when we arrived? Thank you, Father. Amen. So first of all, we're going to look at uh, Joseph and Potiphar. Uh, so we heard Joseph is sold to Potiphar, and so Joseph is now a slave in a foreign land. He has no rights. He's a possession. He is owned. He is an object. You think about those big dreams that he had. 
that he was telling his brother and his mum and dad about. He's just been totally humiliated from that. He's not control, in control of anything, really, at this point. Certainly not his circumstances. But as we were singing about a moment ago, God is still in control of what's happening to Joseph. And God is with him. Please do, do have uh, your Bible open as we go through this. this. We're on page 44, if you're in the church Bibles. Uh, we're in the book of Genesis. If you're not used to perhaps reading the Bible uh, with us, when we say book, that's sort of the main section of the Bible. If I say chapter, that's the big number. If we're talking about verse, that's the small number. So we're on page 44. Well, really page, page 43, I suppose. We're about to turn over onto page 44. So page 43, big, big 39, chapter 39 in Genesis. Pay Daesh if you're Iranian. And if you look there in verses 2 and 3, and, and if you look, turn over the page in verses 21 and 23, it says, God is with Joseph. It says four times, it says in different ways, that the Lord is with Joseph. And he gives Joseph success as a slave. Both he and his master Potiphar are blessed. And in fact, he's, he's so blessed that Potiphar realizes that God is with Joseph. He knows there's something going on here. He recognizes a good thing when he sees it. In fact, he recognizes it so much that he actually promotes Joseph. Promotes him from being sort of a basic slave to his personal attendant to sort of the household manager until everything Potiphar has is in Joseph's control. He's still a slave, but things could be, could be worse. And although God is with Joseph, can I point out a couple of things to you here? Potiphar knew that the Lord was with Joseph. It doesn't say that Joseph knew the Lord was with him. We're not sure to what extent Joseph really appreciated that even though he's a slave, God is with him at this point. Certainly, God does not free Joseph from slavery. That will come. It will come after many years. He doesn't remove him from those circumstances. Joseph is still in those circumstances. And even though the Lord is with Joseph, he's still going to be tempted. He's still going to be tempted even though the Lord is with him. And it's not that God is displeased with Joseph. He doesn't say that at all. He says that he's with Joseph. And things are actually going to get worse because he's going to be imprisoned unjustly. How does this relate to your experience of suffering? How does that compare to where you are perhaps now or circumstances you've been in the past when circumstances seem to be against you? And it's tempting to say that at that point, isn't it, that God is not with us? And ironically, other people may be able to see that God is with us, but we, we can't. And that may not change for years. We still may be tempted, treated unjustly. We may feel that our terrible circumstances mean that God is angry with us or hates us or is just not there. No, friends, no, no, no. Like Joseph, God has promised to be with his people in the tough times, in the terrible times, in the completely shocking times, in the good times. 
And we may not realize that God is working there, perhaps, perhaps somewhere behind our back, but he is working there. Your circumstances do not mean that God does not love you. Your circumstances do not mean that God is not with you if you are one of God's people. So let's do this comparison for a moment. Let's just think about Joseph and Potiphar. Potiphar is powerful, he's influential, he's rich, he's got servants. They've got so much going on that all he has to worry about is what to eat. But God is not with him. Joseph is enslaved. He's penniless. He has to work very hard, and yet God is with him. If you heard those facts, which, and you think about the world, which would you assume meant God was with them? I don't know if you saw the report today. There are, there are now 134 British billionaires. Good grief. Does that mean that God is with them all? I suspect not. I pray he would be. Our circumstances do not tell us whether God is with us or not. Psalm 73 says this, Who have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Does the Lord ever leave his people? No. If we are God's, then he is with us always. Well, let's think about Joseph and uh, Potiphar's wife now uh, and compare them. Um, I don't know about you, perhaps it's, it's just the generation I'm, I'm from, but I've just been, when preparing this sermon, I've just been wanting to leap into passages from Joseph and, Joseph and his amazing technical dream coat. Please forgive me if I do at any point. I'm just thinking, you know, about uh, Potiphar made a fortune buying shares in pyramids and this sort of stuff. Please forgive me if I do do uh, slip into that. Um, now, as he said there, Joseph is a good-looking guy. I mean, not only has he got all this stuff going on for him, but he's a good-looking guy. Fill in the blank as to what you think that might look like. Um, uh, whether that's pretty chunky or not, that's up to you guys. Um, and so unsurprisingly, he captures the, the eyes of Potiphar's wife. She's a woman who's used to having power, uh, especially over her household slaves. Uh, some writers speculate that in a circumstance like this, there would be a lot of casual sex going on at that time. Uh, I would speculate there's a lot of casual sex going on at any time, to be honest with you, not just then. Uh, and we read into the story that Potiphar's wife appears to be promiscuous. It doesn't actually say that, but that's the sense we, we certainly get. Even though this is the only time that, that it's really mentioned. She does seem to be, she just seemed to have a plan well sorted out. So what does she do? Let's, let's do this comparison. What does she do? Even though she knows that her behavior is wrong, she tries to persuade Joseph to sleep with her, even after he, refu- he, even after he refuses. If you look in verse 10. So he's saying no, and she keeps persisting every day, day after day. She plots. She schemes. 
She makes sure none of the servants are about, verse 11. And yet suddenly, when, when he escapes, suddenly they reappear. That's handy, isn't it? That's convenient. How did that happen all of a sudden? And, and when they do reappear, she tells them one set of complete lies. She then tells another set of lies to her husband. And she looks out, she's pressing all those emotional buttons. She knows what, she knows what he's like. She's married to him. She knows he's probably a jealous guy. So she presses that button, bang, and he explodes. And she actually places the blame for the whole thing on him anyway and says, if you hadn't brought this Hebrew guy, none of this would have happened. And even when Joseph is in, is in prison, she does not intervene. This is a seductress, a liar. She's manipulative, self-centered person who is a naughty person. Compare that then to Joseph. Compare that then to Joseph and where he is. He refuses to even consider this temptation. He will not consider it, verse 10. He thinks about his responsibilities. He remembers God's grace to him. He said, my master's whole house is in my care. How can I do this? He's entrusted me with so much. He's just the opposite there of, of so often when I, when I am tempted or when I, when I sin, you know, too often we're tempted to think the grass is greener on the other side. Whatever that temptation is. You know that expression? The grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Or we justify it to ourselves. My life is hard. My life is hard. My difficult. I'm a slave. I'm slaving away at this stuff. I deserve this. You know, Potiphar's given me all this responsibility. He pays me nothing. I, I deserve this. Or even, or even, yeah, she needs me. She respects me and she needs me. She is lonely. No, that is just justifying something which is, as Joseph says, wicked. See how he doesn't think, how close can I get to sinning without actually crossing the line? So he doesn't actually think, how close can I get to adultery without actually committing adultery? He doesn't flirt with her or anything like that. He does what is the right response. He tries to figure out how he can get away as far as he can from temptation. That's what temptation does. It tries to get us up to the line slowly. So it's easy for us to step over. Adam and Eve crossed the line. Joseph did not in this case. And he sits there, and again, he sees this situation clearly. He says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Notice there he's saying sin against God, not sin against Potiphar or Potiphar's wife. He understands that when we do something wrong, it is ultimately God who we are making angry, God we are offending, God we are treating wrongly. He calls it what it is, wicked. Sometimes we say, oh yeah, it was a mistake. I did this thing, it was a mistake. It was a little slip up. No, it's wicked. And finally, Joseph, as we said, Joseph runs from trouble. She lays a trap for him. She grabs him by his cloak and he runs. Um, this is not a time for pride. This is not a time for, yeah, I, I can cope with this. I've got this situation under control. 
I can talk this round, I can figure this out. No. There are some temptations that are stronger than we can ever be. There are some situations that we cannot handle. Joseph does the right thing. Run, get out, hit the back door. And you've got to feel for Joseph. He's being reliable. He's doing the right thing. He's being trustworthy. He's got a reverence for God. He's doing what is morally right. And he's going to get locked up for it. And God is still with him. God is still with him. God is with him. God is with his people. We might even feel that circumstances are going well for us. Perhaps Joseph felt that at this point. You know, he felt that things were, although he's been a slave, things have improved. Someone who's chosen and blessed by God is still capable of being seriously tempted by the world. In fact, can I suggest to you that you're more likely to be tempted by the world at that point? Christians got to be able to combat the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is the fight every Christian has to fight every day. And still, God is with us, whether we win or whether we lose. Notice how Joseph's cloak has again been used to deceive. Last time it was his brothers using it to deceive his father. This time it's being used to deceive Potiphar. Joseph gets locked up. So that gives us the opportunity to think about the third comparison, Joseph and the cupbearer. If we were, if it was J.K. Rowling uh, writing this, she she might call this Joseph and the prisoners of Pharaoh. How how difficult can it be? eh? I mean, you know, you just you just I can I got that straight away. Write these titles off, no problem. Um, And. So we see Joseph now, and he is locked up. Let me just read to you from the end of there, the end of uh, chapter thirty-nine to, and and uh, excuse me, the end of chapter thirty-nine and chapter forty. Just do read along with me if you if you want to hear. Um, verse twenty-two. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those he held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream. It was the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. 
So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream, and he said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. When all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given him a favorable interpretation, he said, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top baskets were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. Three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all, all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the cupbearer to his position, so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And usually, when you think about it, a slave would be killed for the kind of offence that Joseph has committed here. You might think, well, maybe Potiphar does not entirely believe his wife. Maybe he's thinking about the good service he's given. We don't quite know. But Joseph does seem to have got off lightly. And so he's imprisoned and forgotten about. And yet, God is still with Joseph. Look there, verse 23. The prison warder, like, like, like uh, Potiphar, sees that there's something good going on when, when Joseph's around. This is a prison warder, remember? I mean, he's a big, tough guy. He's not some kind of softy. Yeah, and yet he gives this great responsibility to Joseph. He doesn't have to worry about everything if Joseph's got it. And Joseph is put in charge of these other prisoners, particularly these two prisoners here, the cupbearer of Pharaoh and the baker. Um, we don't really think about them as being officials, do we? You know, he's a baker, he's a guy who serves the wine. Remember, this is, not a, this is a time when people got poisoned if you were, in, if you were a king. This is a responsible position. You've got to be able to trust these folks. And they do something to offend Pharaoh. We don't quite know what. And so they're locked up. And they have these dreams. Now, I don't know about you, but I normally forget my dreams within about three seconds of having them. Uh, Apart from the ones where I've been eating pizza the night before. if I do that, particularly close to when I go to bedtime, I dream that Chris Evans is chasing me with a group of Cossacks round the aisles at Lidl or something. Uh, that kind of thing. These dreams do not mean anything. Okay? These dreams mean nothing at all. Partly that's because God does not need to talk to us in dreams anymore. God 
sent us his son, Jesus. Remember, Jesus was called the word of God. And, and, his, and his teaching and his words are recorded here in the Bible. His life is recorded here in the Bible. All that we need to know from God. So we don't need dreams now to tell us what to do and what is going on. Personally, I believe we might occasionally have a, a, a dream from God, but I mean very occasionally. I can actually only think about two dreams that I've ever heard of that I would consider genuinely came from God. Maybe. Some Christians would disagree with that. God bless them, fair enough. But this is what Hebrews says, the beginning of the book of Hebrews, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. It includes dreams. But in these last days, after the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, he's spoken to us by his son. But that was not the case here in Genesis. The Bible wasn't written then. And so God did occasionally talk through dreams. But notice he equipped someone to interpret the dreams. That is Joseph. So Joseph interprets these dreams. They say what's going on. And um, notice that Joseph said, yeah, this interpretation is from God. This is not from me. He doesn't try to take the claim say, yeah, look, I can interpret your dreams. I'm a great guy. He interprets the dreams. It works out well for the, for the cupbearer. Not so much for the baker. Um, have you noticed that Joseph doesn't get any kind of dream about what his future will be at this point? He's interpreting other people's dreams. He doesn't get to, to any kind of sense. But, but he wants out. He says to the, to the cupbearer, please plead my case when you get out. Please tell Pharaoh I'm not supposed to be in here. No point telling it to the baker to say that. He'd figure that out. Um, and everything goes the way. Joseph has predicted. Unfortunately, the, the cupbearer forgets Joseph. I suppose that's understandable. There must have been a, a great time of anxiety. Let's think about this comparison. Let's compare the cupbearer and Joseph. The cupbearer, we, we don't know quite what, but the cupbearer may well have genuinely offended Pharaoh. Actually done something deserving of being locked up. It doesn't appear that he believes in God, and yet he has had this message from him. The cupbearer needs a word from Pharaoh to save him. He needs Pharaoh to say, let him go. And he gets that word. Joseph has committed no crime, and yet he's been locked up. He is, doesn't deserve to be there. God is with him, though, and surely he believes in God and yet he has not heard from God at this point. He is also waiting for a word from Pharaoh to save him, and he has not got it. But although the cupbearer has forgotten Joseph, God has not. God is still with him, even at this lowest ebb. For Jesus said that for his new people, Matthew 28, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Paul wrote this in Romans 8. Some of you may know this passage. Uh, uh, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep 
to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is with his people in all circumstances. Well, let's finally have a look at uh, Joseph and Pharaoh. Uh, J.K. Rowling's might be, might say, uh, Joseph and the Troubled King. That's good. Another, another title there. Another other things. Um, and Pharaoh... Pharaoh, by the way, is just another word for the king of Egypt. You see these things being used interchangeably here. Surprise, surprise, has been receiving funny dreams too. Not the late night pizza variety. The real ones. They haven't invented pizza then anyway. So. Um, no, this is another message from God. Let me read to you uh, parts of Genesis uh, chapter 41. That's on page 45 if you're following along with us in the Bible. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river, there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stopped beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven ears of corn, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears of corn sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven healthy, full ears. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of the dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed, changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. And no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said that you said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And then, uh, then Pharaoh repeats the dreams. Uh, if we pop down to uh, verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, in the dreams of Pharaoh, excuse me, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears of corn are seven years. 
It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless ears of corn. Scorched by the east wind, they are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, who, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And then Joseph is put in charge of Egypt. He's given the signet ring, he's given the gold chain, and he does exactly what he had suggested to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh's had these two dreams, they're the same message. God's really trying to get the point over. And Pharaoh tells everybody what it is, he tells them again, and he, he sends for wise men and magicians. Now, to be clear, we're not talking about magicians who pull rabbits out of hats and cards out of sleeves and that sort of stuff. These are people who were considered the wise men of the time. They would perhaps look at horoscopes, burn tea leaves, sacrifice gerbils to the future. We don't know. Just joking about the gerbils, I think. Uh, they haven't got a clue, right? They're just doing things to try and maybe figure out what is going on. You know, you read, like you read your horoscopes now, perhaps Pharaoh, they thought, was going to meet a tall, dark stranger. We don't know. Uh, pointless. They can't sell us anything. But everyone's getting nervous. You know, you do not want an agitated Pharaoh. This is a very, very bad thing. The cupbearer remembers Joseph. Remembers that he interpreted two dreams before correctly. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph. Joseph agrees to come. Again, he reminds everyone, interpretations come from God. This is God who's given me this gift. This is not me. And Joseph takes that opportunity by the hand to get out of jail. Notice he doesn't say there, uh, no, you're okay, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. I'll stay here. Don't worry about that. You ever heard that story? Very briefly, ever heard that story? Uh, there's a drowning man and uh, the water is coming up outside his house and a fire engine comes past. And he's praying to God. And he says, he says, please, God, save me from, from drowning in this water. And the, fire, the fireman on the fire engine is saying, come, get on the fire engine, get on the fire engine. He's like, no, no, I'm okay. I'm waiting for God to save me. God is going to save me. 
And the water gets higher. He's outside. He's now up to the, the level of his bedroom window. And he's waiting in his bedroom. And he's praying, God, God, please save me. And this boat comes past with the rescuers. And he says, come on. They say, come, get in the boat. Come and get in the boat. He's like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I'm waiting for God to save me. My, my God is going to save me. The water keeps going up. This guy's now standing on the roof, on the, on the ridge tiles. And a helicopter comes over the top in the shadow. Come on, come on, let us rescue you. He's like, no, no, it's okay. God is going to rescue me. My God is going to rescue me. And he drowns. And he goes to heaven. And he says to God, why didn't you rescue me? God says, I sent a fire engine and I sent a boat and I sent a helicopter. What more did you want? Yeah, why didn't you, why didn't you get one of them? You know, God is going to use regular circumstances very often in our lives to answer our prayers. It is not all thunder and lightning and miracles and that kind of stuff. God uses circumstances, regular circumstances to answer our prayers. He's done that here for Joseph. Uh, and so Joseph interprets these two dreams. It's quite a brave thing to do. Pharaoh's a powerful man. There, there is a phrase we use sometimes, speaking truth to power. Speaking truth to power. Having the courage to tell a powerful person bad news and not just telling them what they want to hear. He could have just said, yeah, you know, everything's going to be great. Pharaoh, you're going to have a great time. Pharaoh would have said, no, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. And for seven years it would have been true. But no, he's given him a, a, a harder message. And it's unusual in one way because God normally gives big messages like this to his own special people. In this case, at this time, uh, Jacob's family. And this time he's given the message to someone who doesn't believe in him. Uh, But Joseph knows what to do. Joseph knows that it's all very well explaining the word of God. You also need to apply the word of God. You can actually do something with it. So that's what he does. He says to Pharaoh, he says, he gives him some suggestions. He says, this is what's going to happen, seven good years, seven bad years. If I were you, what I'd do is appoint a prime minister, start rationing, and found a food bank. There's no point in us hearing the word of God if we have not figured out a way to apply it into our lives. And that's what Joseph does for Pharaoh here. Pharaoh agrees. He says, hey, is there anyone who's as wise as this guy? Uh, And Joseph reaches that critical point now in the story, the turning point. Deliverance has come. So let's, let's compare Joseph and, and Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a mighty king. His word is law. He carries his huge responsibilities. And he's very troubled because he does not know what is coming. He needs to hear the word of God, but he has not yet heard it. In one way, he's close to the word of God. Without a change, the pattern of his life is going to be glory and then suffering. But God is still with Joseph. He can not only hear, but he can understand, explain, and apply the word of God. He is, perhaps for the first time in this story now, seeing God's big plan. He's not not lost his faith in God, even though he's had to wait for all these years in prison, even though he'd been forgotten for two years. He has had to wait for deliverance, and he has suffered, and he has shown us the pattern in his life 
that is seen over and over again in the Bible. God's people suffer and then experience glory. A Christian will suffer before receiving a crown of glory in heaven. Christians suffer and yet know that Christ is coming in glory and that they will share that glory because God is with his people. He's with Joseph and he is with us regardless of our circumstances. Joseph probably even catch, can't even catch his breath at this point. Within a matter of hours, he's been moved from being an imprisoned slave, a foreigner with no rights or anything at all, to being prime minister. I mean, that can you imagine a more unprecedented story? We're going through an election at the moment. Can you imagine if the person who was elected in the UK, who became our prime minister, was someone who had, only a couple of hours before the polls opened, been in jail as a criminal? Can you imagine what that story would even run like in the media? The only explanation is that God is with him. When God's deliverance turns up, it is unmistakable. When God's deliverance turns up, it is unmatched. Surely it is for Joseph here. And the next 14 years work out exactly as planned. The man God has prepared to be the leader in that time has been delivered at exactly the right time in exactly the right way in according with God's big plan. I'm sure he never forgot the time in prison. I'm sure it made him a a wiser prime minister. I'm sure he never forgot the time when he had been unfairly tried and put in jail. I'm sure that made him a, a better prime minister. Maybe even, maybe even his resisting temptation to Potiphar's wife made him a better prime minister. I don't know. Will you allow me one last comparison? I want to compare Joseph with Jesus. Let's for a moment just compare Joseph with Jesus. Joseph was his father's favourite. Jesus, who was the son of God, was his favourite. Joseph was imprisoned on trumped-up charges. Jesus was imprisoned on trumped-up charges. Joseph resisted temptation on this one occasion we hear about. Jesus completely resisted temptation throughout his life. Joseph suffers and is then raised up as prime minister. Jesus suffers and is ultimately raised up as a king. Joseph was used by God the Father to save a people. At this point, Jacob's family. Jesus was used by God the Father to save a people, his people, the church. But even Joseph, this great hero, in the end breaks God's covenant. At the end of the chapter, we see he marries an Egyptian. God has specifically told Abraham's descendants not to marry someone who's not Jewish. Jesus always perfectly kept God's covenant. We see here in Joseph's story, if you were looking in a mirror, an imperfect reflection of Jesus. Like when you go to the fun fair and you have those mirrors that are a bit sort of wobbly, it's kind of looking in that. You can see it sort of outlined, but it's not exactly the same. 
Jesus came according to his father's plan. It's the same plan Joseph's following here. It's the same plan. It's just 2,000 years earlier in the plan. Like Joseph, God wants him to come and save his people. Jesus needed to come. Because we are like the baker and the cupbearer in prison. We are all in prison. The Bible says we are all slaves to the things we've done wrong and slaves to our own nature. The nature that we have which is so wrong. The Bible calls this being enslaved to sin. And we are all going to be judged by God because of that and sentenced to death like the baker. Like Joseph, Jesus had done nothing wrong when he was imprisoned. And again, this is where the mirror is not exactly the same. Jesus dies to save his people. Joseph did not die to save his people. Jesus dies to save his people, but he's brought back from the dead after, by God after three days to complete that work of saving his people. And that, friends, is an even more impressive turnaround than a slave becoming a prime minister. That is an even more staggering happening that someone who is dead has been raised to life. And when that has happened and if we then put our faith in Jesus and if we turn our life around and follow him then he will be our saviour and we will be his people and God will be with us then whatever our circumstances are. We're going to hear in a couple of weeks that Joseph's family takes Joseph's bones out of Egypt 400 years later to Israel. Jesus' people don't need to. We don't need to take Jesus' bones anywhere because he's been raised from the dead. He now stands at the right hand of God the Father in heaven and he is still working for us, his people. So when we put our faith in Jesus, this better Joseph, this perfect Joseph, when we believe in him, when we, put, when we ask for his forgiveness and try to live a better life, then, like Joseph, God will be with us in bad times and the good times and the terrible times and the marvelous times, whatever the circumstances. And other people will be able to see that in us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do indeed in our lives experience all kind of circumstances. All of us have suffered in our lives, or we are currently suffering, or we are about to suffer. And we don't say that to be negative or to be bad, that is life. And yet, you promise that if we put our trust and faith in you, that you will be with us. You will be with your people. Lord, we pray that if we had not done that today, if there are people here who have not done that today, that they would today, even now, believe that your Son, Jesus Christ, came and lived a perfect life, died for them as he died for all of us, 
rose from the dead three days later so that through our faith in him and turning towards him away from our our lifestyle, our self-centered lifestyle, we might be your people forever. And that he will be with us forever, just as he promised us. Lord, if there are people here today who have not done that, Lord, will you please help them to put their trust in you? Thank you, Father. Amen.